This is the Evergreen Empire. Green grow the forests and fair flow the streams. The gentle deer grazes, the wild blossom gleams. From ocean wave raging to mountain serene. All nature's proclaiming our land's evergreen. Welcome to Columbia Conversations. I'm Felix Bunnell, editor of Columbia Magazine for the Washington State Historical Society. On this episode, we speak with Maggie Weatherby, who recently joined the staff of the Washington State Historical Society. Every time I was working in the collection, I was validating that stories like my family's exist and they are important and they matter and we need to make sure that they're preserved. I spoke with Maggie Weatherby by phone from where she's sheltering in place with family in eastern Washington. Maggie Weatherby, thanks for joining us for this episode of Columbia Conversations. You're new to the staff there at the Washington State Historical Society. I understand you're the head of collections. Um, You've just been on the job for how long at this point? I have been on, on the job for a little more than a month. My first day actually was the day we got the news that we had to start working from home. So my first task was assigning telecommuting assignments to everyone who reports to me. So I have technically been on site at the museum for one day, and I've been telecommuting for the rest of the time. Wow, what a strange way to start any new job, and especially a job related to history and collecting for the future. And there's so much I want to talk to you about, but I want to give you a chance to first tell us what you did before you came to the Washington State Historical Society, what other museums or where you worked or that sort of thing. So what were you doing most recently in terms of the museum or history field? Great. I have been working in museums the last 15 years. Um, My most recent post was actually coming in to help uh, Fort Nisqually Living History Museum get ready for their initial accreditation. I worked to get their collection ready for that process. I was there very um, part-time on my schedule, and it was a wonderful experience. I can't recommend um, Fort Nisqually highly enough. Um, We were successful in gaining our initial accreditation, and um, my tenure then ended because I was I was just there to help to help. Um, previously, I was the collections manager at the Japanese American National Museum in downtown Los Angeles in Little Tokyo, and I was in charge um, of all of the artifacts, um, the historic building, you name it. Um, it's very similar to the role that I have just taken with the Washington State Historical Society. So uh, I was there um, for four years and very happy in that um, position, but was ready to come back to Washington. I lived in the Los Angeles, Southern California um, area for 15 years before I came back to Washington. And Maggie Weatherby has a long family history in the Evergreen State. I'm a fifth generation Washingtonian and it's lovely to be back in my home state, really making sure that our history where my roots are uh, is being preserved. And most of your listeners are probably wondering why, why I worked at the Japanese American National Museum. And it's, it's part of my family story um, my my family came to Washington in any way possible. You know, we came across the covered wagons. Um, we went by steamship around the Horn. Uh, we, you, every single aspect of how you could get to our, uh, to the state, my family did. Um, every every side came early, and we're really fortunate because we have a really large collection of materials that they brought with them, and writings that they did um, not only during their travels but as they settled here in Washington. And so I've sort of grown up 
up with this amazing resource um, and was very interested in uh, museums uh, early on. I was really, it's actually kind of funny to me now, but my sixth grade class went on a field trip. We went to go watch some scientists dig up some Clovis points in East Wenatchee. So I really got to start thinking about museums and what they meant um, during that experience. It really popped up a lot of questions in the back of my head. Um, who studies these? Where do they go after, they're, after they've been collected? Um, and really, it was sort of the impetus for me going, going in the direction um, of the career that I, that I chose. Um, so now I'm in charge of those. I'm in charge of the Clovis points that I watched come out of the ground. That's <laughs> as great. A sixth grader. That's great. Did you grow up in Chelan County or that part of the state, or where did I, you? So yeah. So my family has been. Um, I, I have family all over the state, um, but my my grandparents um, and great grandparents um, were all in Leavenworth. One of the old historic barns that's in all kinds of photos was my family barn. Um, I grew up on the family ranch outside of Wenatchee for my formative kind of really early years where I did everything from play in a cave with pictographs um, that was right behind my house um, to, you know, it was really common to walk along, along the river and find projectile points. Like these were just my childhood. Um, Looking back now, it sounds super idyllic, but yeah. um, that was my childhood. Then we, we moved. My dad um, had a well drilling business, and we moved to Pateras. Do you know where that is? I spent a couple of days in Pateras a few months ago. I was um, on a tour for Humanities Washington, um, giving uh -huh. talks all around that area, and I, I set up base camp at Pateras for a couple of days and spent a lot of time there along that little waterfront park taking breaks during yeah. the day. And yeah, it's a lovely little community right there where the, yes. the Metau comes into the Columbia right there. Yeah. Yes, right yeah. there. So I went from third grade on, I went to school there. And Mrs. Wolf, who is now Mrs. Miller, was my teacher in sixth grade who took us on this amazing field trip um, to watch the Clovis points being taken out of the ground. And um, yeah, I'm a Eastern Washington small town uh, girl who um, <laughs> was really interested in, on, in history. Um, I went to UW. Um, I went and did a year abroad at the American University in Cairo in Egypt, um, where I was really fortunate to get to work um, with an Egyptology professor there who is, is in charge of the animal mummy rooms for the Cairo Museum. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I went and did my master's degree in London. So I did my master's degree um, in museum studies with a specialization in collections management, which is what I do um, at, at University College London. And I worked at the British Museum um, as part of that program in the ethnography department and also the, um, um, the education department. So I was also a museum educator early, early on. Um, early on. So I was really fortunate um, in my time there because I was able to work with lots of very progressive staff. Maggie Weatherby told me more about that progressive approach to artifacts. They were very interested in making sure that families and cultural groups had access to collections in the ways that they needed to have them. Um, for, for instance, um, there were certain groups who were allowed to come and have ceremonies with, with particular artifacts. Um, and, and that really, really spoke to me as a girl from, you know, kind of rural Washington state who had a lot of um, interactions with lots of different types of people because on, on this side of the state, um, um, I'm actually currently self-quarantined on, on, the, on the eastern side. 
Um, it was very interestingly mixed experience. Um, I had Native American friends. I had African American friends. I had Latino friends. Right? Everybody was very mixed. Um, and I grew up with lots of um, friends who their grandparents were super important to them. And they came to all of our games and they, they were these really important tribal members. And I didn't, I knew them as a grandmother who supported me. Right. So coming back to Washington, um, after this experience in England, um, where I really looked at museums and, and how they were, um, having interactions with families and cultural groups. I came back and I compared it to um, amazing, amazing basket weavers who I know here, um, who work with the Smithsonian and other really large organizations. And I was, it was interesting to me because I was really interested in, you know, how did they learn to weave and why did they, what do they like to do when they have a weaving circle? Um, Cause the, the answers were so interesting. Um, uh, they didn't remember learning how to weave because they'd always known how to do it. Mm. And they love to watch Mariner games while they weave because, you know, the boys in, in the tight pants. <laughs> <laughs> and the Smithsonian would do things like, well, we'd really like one of your baskets to come be part of our exhibition, but we would only like it if you would send it if it was this material or if it was this theme or if it was this design. And I thought that they were really missing the opportunity to, to really look at how these amazing weavers lived and how these amazing weavers, the, 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 these baskets were part of them. They weren't just a um, something that they could send out, that, that they had their own room at the house because they were like children and, and that they're missed when they're gone. And so that's always really stuck with me in my museum career, just that notion of really making sure that we get stories right and that we are supportive of people and we listen to them while they're talking to us about artifacts and they're listening we're listening to them while we keep good records at the museum so that's really something that has um has followed me and so in in 1936 getting back to my family story um my aunt my great aunt who was born in leavenworth um married a nisei man which it was a um Japanese American man, uh, first generation, and it was that was not done at the time. Um, and eventually, they World War II breaks out, and they have to decide if she's going to go with him to Minidoka, or if she's going to try to stay and save the family farm um, that they were living on. So they have her stay uh, at the farm, and he goes to Minidoka, and he signs up to be a member of the 442nd which is the all Japanese American unit um, that served in World War II. Um, they're still the most highly decorated unit in the history of the military. They were sent on missions that no one was supposed to even survive. They were, they were categorized as expendable. Um, and so for me, working at, at the Japanese American National Museum not only combined my, I really want to get families and cultural groups into the collection about themselves, but it also really touched me in the sense that every time I was working in the collection, I was validating that that stories like my families exist and they are important and they matter and we need to make sure that they're preserved. So um, I'm really excited to be joining the SAF here at the Washington State Historical Society because I am deeply rooted as a Washingtonian, but not only that, I'm 
bring lots of experience from lots of other places and I'm happy to to really come in and help in any way I can share share our stories and really make sure they're preserved well for the future. It's really, really, really what makes me excited about going to work every day, even though I'm doing it telecommuting right now. Yeah, um, and that, I mean, schooling my children and oh, yeah. <laughs> all of that. And that's kind of, I mean, that's the, the commonality I've found in the museum people that I've sort of liked the most, that I've had the most fun working with. There's gotta be, there has to be, but there's often this personal connection where it's more than just taking care of, you know, some artifacts on a shelf and making sure that the database reflects the right ownership and provenance and all that sort of thing. There's this other mm -hmm. fire or passion to want to, to save these stories and not just save them and keep them locked away in a cabinet or a room somewhere, but actually share them as well. And it feels to me, you know, I've been, I was deputy director at Mohai in Seattle for about seven years. And mm -hmm. I, it seems to me just in that, and that's almost 20 years ago now, there's been this uh, just continued evolution of museums and because of technology and because of being able to, for museums to actually share their own stories and tell their own stories without some intermediary you know whether it's a newspaper or a television station or whatever there's just this there's so much potential now and so much uh, realization of potential to tell the kinds of stories that you've shared about yourself and about the, the other things that are hidden within the artifacts and within the, the photographs and the documents that are in the collection of the State Historical Society and that sincere belief that everybody's story is valid and is use, useful and worth exploring is really great. And I, I remember when I was a little kid, museums were very, were much simpler. Like 45 years ago, you know, you'd go and they'd show you a, you know, one of those old flat irons, and they'd talk about people, you know, grandpa ironing his, or you know, people ironing their clothes. And it's just, it's the, the discussions have become so much more complex, and the appreciation for the complex relationships, like what you described with your family, that, that's great. You seem like it's a really good fit. One thing I wanted to uh, ask you about, which you mentioned when you were first talking about um, being at uh, Fort Nisqually, is this accreditation process. And I would guess that outside the museum world, very few people know what that is. And we went through it. When I was at Mohai, we went through reaccreditation, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But what's the short version of what accreditation is for a place like Fort Nisqually and why it's important and sort of why museums or institutions take the time to go through it? That's a great question. And the American Alliance of Museums is the largest governing body for museums in the United States. And being an accredited museum with them means that you meet certain guidelines and you are very professional in your standards and everything is, is in good order. Um, and it's really helpful for getting things like grants and funding, um, but also just so you can attract better staff if you have accreditation. Um, so it runs the gamut of, of value to the institution to go through this process. It's actually something I've done a lot in my career. And um, so it was very important for Fort Nisqually, who'd been working on this process for a really long time. I was just helping like be a closer for the for the project for them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something they'd worked on for a really long time. And so for, for me to come in and just highlight things that we needed to change maybe or look at a different way um, before we go through the process. That, that was what I was able to do. And I have to say it was really fun <laughs> because I got to just work on collections. Um, and we made uh, changes and um, they, they went through the process very well and came out with accreditation, which was a very big deal because it's a, it's a first time thing for them, which means um, that they'd never been accredited before. Yeah. And then reaccreditation is every 10 years you have to prove yeah. that you're yeah. still a a professional institution. And, and that, that seemed to me that we had to 
show that we were taking care of our artifacts properly. We were recognizing donors properly. All, all, sort of all the uh, all the I's were dotted and, and all the T's were crossed. Um, which, yes, it's a very yeah. thorough process. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Every department is very looked at and, and scrutinized and, and made sure. Um, and this is something that the State Historical Society uh, has just done itself. So it's, it's something that a lot of institutions um, work toward and are working through. And now going back to your first day on the job and the, right before the closure and everything, I know in the meantime, in the last, it's been like three or four weeks, I've lost track myself, that the, the State Historical Society has been trying to actively collect and think about how they'll tell the story of this pandemic of 2020, how they'll tell, what they'll need artifact-wise to be able to effectively tell that story in the future. So what has that meant for, for your job? Yes, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. We. We were really looking internally um, at what we thought we needed to be actively collecting to try and help document this global pandemic. Um, looking back at the 1918 Spanish flu um, and the collection that we have for that, it's very minimal. There aren't a lot of artifacts to help us tell that story. We actually keep getting requests for artifacts um, and we, we have photographs and we, we do have a few things, but it is definitely uh, an area that wasn't heavily collected because they were busy during this pandemic and not thinking about collections. So this is something that was really forefront in our minds. Like what, what, can, what do we need for future historians and our future selves to help tell this story in a hundred years? Because that's how collections people think. We think in hundred year timeframes. Um, so really, we were having all of this internal dialogue and collectively, we all started thinking that we really needed to ask people. We, we needed to ask up people other than ourselves who are living through this global experience together what types of things are important right now. And especially, um, we talked so much about stories just, just a bit ago, about how museums always are interested in the stories of what are happening around. And for us, it's stories of Washington State. Um, but right now, we're having this collective experience as Washingtonians. And we really need to ask people their stories. We really need to ask them to share what's important to them right now, or a meme they think that they can relate to, or um, a pictures of their kids playing in the street at night, because there are no people then. So they're not being in contact with anyone. Um, we, we really need to have people have a way to share with us. So we left it very open um, and very broad on purpose to make sure that everyone who feels like they would like to participate can. Um, there's no story or photo or whatever you would like to submit that is too small or, or too large for us to, to look at and to consider. Um, and we've been really fortunate. We're getting really wonderful submissions. Um, I was really motivated because I saw, like many moms, um, I am a mom, I have a group of Facebook moms that we all kind of talk amongst ourselves, um, share ideas, bounce ide you know, bounce things off of, um, and one of them is a nurse, and her daughter is eight, and she wrote a letter to her mom, and the letter was really wonderfully written my mom is a nurse, my mom goes to work, my mom puts on her PPE, my mom keeps safe, my mom's a hero. So there was the shift in perspective 
of the child realizing that her mother is a nurse, but nurses are heroes because nurses are helping in a global pandemic. And when I saw that, I was just like, I, I need that. I, <laughs> I need to be able to figure out how to save that for scholars in a hundred years because that's an important perspective. And it really helped to motivate me say a hundred percent, let's, let's open this up to the public. Let's ask for what they're thinking. Um, let's ask for what they're feeling and in, in whatever way that they would like us to have the information. And it's that we're having this collective experience together that is important to document um, because you never know what the important pieces that we take away from this are going to be in a hundred years. So the more we collect, the more stories we have, the more likelihood that we have those really important key pieces um, to preserve for perpetuity. So, so are you actually collecting hard copies of things now? Or is it all digital at this point? Right now we're actually collecting um, both, uh, although we are not currently um, on site at the museum. Um, or the research center. So what people are doing is if they'd like to donate something that is a physical artifact, they are emailing us about it and talking to us about what it is and, and they're setting it aside and we'll, we will get it from them after um, we're all sort of allowed back into the museum spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've received really amazing amazing submissions um, of, of actual artifacts. The second thing we were offered was someone's essential worker letter which is amazing um, because that's that's a really key piece of history that I had to carry this letter with me to go to work because I'm an essential worker. And if I was stopped by the authorities, I could prove that I was allowed to be out and about. Um, and there may not be a good answer for this question, but I've been thinking about this because, you know, it seems like the experience around the United States and I guess other parts of the world as well, it's fairly similar. I mean, you know, people are staying in their homes and working from home when they can or venturing out to get groceries or for the, the essential jobs they might be part of. Their, their kids are adapting. Um, are there artifacts or have you seen anything that's come in where you've said, okay, this artifact could only be collected in the evergreen state. This, is, this, this says pandemic 2020, but it also says only in Washington. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, my favorite example of that is um, really early on in the, in the collecting process, we were offered a mask that was made by a lady named Debbie who lives in the Tri-Cities. Um, she made a mask out of a Seahawks, a green <laughs> Seahawks can cozy. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it, it's amazing. And she um, also sent us the story of why she felt like she wanted to make it and why she when she saw the material she thought she just wanted to give this a try and and she took what she saw and from a team she loved and she adapted it to fit what she needed in that moment that's great and i think artifacts like that are going to be really really valuable and and i mean they're valuable now but in a hundred years those are really going to be things that people can relate to and yeah. think i am washingtonian i love that and wow look at what they did yeah, yeah, and especially um, when it's you have the story to go with it, because so many of the artifacts, I would imagine, from 1918, 1919, they're probably pretty cool on their own, and they probably stand up on their own, but I, I would guess we have nowhere near the backstory or the provenance or the kind of story behind the artifact that we'd have for pretty much everything that you're collecting this time around, right? 
That's, that is very true. And I think the one thing um, that's important for people to know who want to participate in the project is if it's a conversation we want to have with you, we're happy to take your submissions, but we want to know more about you and what you're, you're going through and what you're dealing with and what the story behind what you would like to give us is. Um, because it is such a key piece, um, and especially right now, and people are being very thoughtful with what they that they're with what they're submitting. We have had a nine-year-old boy named Gabriel who asked his mom if kids in the future would need to know what he was going through because he's keeping a journal and he thinks it might be important for them to know. So he would like to give us his COVID-19 journal, and that's amazing. That's a wonderful way that we can um, help preserve that story um, of, of his childhood experience. Very nice. Well, Maggie Weatherby, uh, number one, congratulations on joining the staff there at the State Historical Society and welcome aboard. It's great to have you. And thanks for taking the time to tell us about what you've been up to in your, your new job there um, at home <laughs> and balancing everything <laughs> the way so many people are trying to do in this in this very strange and unprecedented time. But uh, thanks for being on this episode of Columbia Conversations. Thank you for having me. I look forward to many more conversations. Thank you to Maggie Weatherby for speaking with me for this episode of Columbia Conversations from the Washington State Historical Society. If you have items you'd like to donate to the Washington State Historical Society's pandemic collection, Search the web for Washington History Pandemic Collection. For more information about Columbia Magazine or to subscribe, please visit WashingtonHistory.org. I'm Felix Bunnell. <laughs>